This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. All right, welcome back to Energy Sense, an S&P Global podcast discussing all things on the intersection of energy and finance. My name is Hill Vaden, and I'm your host, and I, I am here today with Rahul Kapoor, who is vice president of our commodities and seed business. Rahul, how are you? Good morning. Good evening, Will. Uh, great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and this is the uh, so, so we've had to reschedule this a couple times. It's it's always yeah. challenging to negotiate time zones with uh, w- with one person in Singapore yeah. being you and and the other in Houston. So uh, I appreciate you you dialing in. And what is your evening? Thank you so much. I think it's good to be uh, as in uh, Singapore is opening up, so that's good. I think we are finally past that COVID stage. It's it's turning more endemic, and uh, I was just in the US a few weeks back, so we are getting there. Yeah, and we were lucky enough to see each other. It's uh, yeah, it's nice definitely. to be seeing colleagues again from different parts oh. of the, the country or the world. So good uh, to be traveling, yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's a good segue into our conversation. Yeah. So, so commodities at sea is is a business here within our S and P, uh, I guess, enterprise that that tracks uh, tanker movement and ship movement on sea, and obviously that's uh, extremely relevant to anybody following uh, commodities. Um, and, and you know, with, with airplane movement uh, now being a mm. little bit more normal, you know, as evidenced by you joining me for lunch yeah. here uh, just a month yeah. ago, yeah. I'm not sure the shipping world is quite normal at all. Could you maybe, you know, let's talk about a couple of things. Sure. But, but there's one coming out of the the COVID disruption, mm. so, so the supply chain, and then of course the the Ukraine Russia conflict or war um, that has yeah. um, added a whole new twist to, to the mix. So so maybe we start maybe. with the supply chain yeah. and. and how I guess before the war started, what were things looking like coming out of of the supply chain disruptions and the the weirdness that was COVID? Perfect. So let me just uh, a bit of a background here, right? Uh, so we I work for my time and trade business, uh, which is essentially the platform which you talked about, commodities at sea. Uh, so we use what we call the vessel AIS, uh, satellite imagery. Uh, third-party sources, trade data sets. So these are all very high-frequency data, right? Mm-hmm. It gives us a it gives us a beautiful picture into what's happening in the global supply chains, whether it's the commodities, whether it's the finished goods, semi-finished goods, on a near real-time basis. We are able to track these before you get any of those custom stats or before you get any of those aftermarket reports, right? So that gives us a window of what's happening on a near real-time basis. And that's a very powerful data set, right? And you talked about Russia, Ukraine. I'll I'll talk a bit more about that later. But just let's look at uh, pre-COVID, right? So what we are essentially doing is we're tracking around, let's say, I think close to around 200,000 ships on a daily basis, right? These are dry bulk ships, these are tanker vessels, these are container ships, these are all all the global vessels, uh, global fleet of merchant ships, uh, which we are tracking on a daily basis. We're looking at where they're loading. We have uh, legacy data sets going back 20 years where we've mapped uh, different berths, right? So we are able to zero down what's happening in the global trade flow right down to the birth level right if it's a if it's an oil cargo which is coming out of pad three whether it's going to india whether it's going to korea 
whether mm. it's, it's going to any other markets, right? So we are able to track these. So if you look at pre-COVID, uh, what we've seen is, uh, and I'll take you back to global financial crisis, right? So after that, uh, the global financial crisis, when it happened, it took the world economy as well as global trade uh, some time to come back to normal, right? We're talking about 2013-14 is when the normalcy, reta- uh, normalcy came back, right? The globalization continues to prosper. I'm talking pre-COVID, and I'll talk about what's happening right now. But the globalization continued to prosper. We continue to see trade growth every year, right? Barring 2009, I think we did uh, 2008 and 9, the global financial crisis, we were growing every year, whether it's a container trade, whether it's a dry bulk trade, whether it's a oil market or, or for that matter, the tanker trade, right? So the world was increasingly trading with each other. And that continued all the way till COVID-19, right? The first impact which we saw on this was early 2020, I would say somewhere in, in Feb, right after the Chinese New Year, because we were looking at some of those ships which are calling, let's say, China, right? That was where the first major lockdown started happening, right? Mm-hmm. So we could actually see the number of ships which are going into China started falling, right? Number of ships which were loading and departing started falling. So we could see that ship calling or what we call the port callings, some of those fall off a cliff, right? That was a very good indication. This This was was uh, before March 2020. Yeah, this was before the major lockdowns in the Western economies, right? This was in China, right around uh, after the Chinese New Year, somewhere around that time, right? So that gives you a good indication that if you see disruptions in the Asian export powerhouse, all that will have ripple effects across the across the world. And this was early right. indication of container shipping, right? That's the finished goods. It flows into the market is that if you have a bit of a dip in finished good demands, and, and I'm taking China example because it's a it's a global export powerhouse, that starts feeding into the domestic demand, right? So you started seeing that on the dry bulk side. So in terms of your industrial commodities, which are going into China, in terms of the oil markets, right? The amount of oil which China needs. So it all percolates in that sense. And China being one of the biggest exporter as well as the biggest commodity buyer in the world was a very good indication of what's coming over the next few months for us, right? There's sure. a there's a lag in terms of how it would have an impact in the economy. But like I said, this is a leading indicator. You could see that in early Feb, March, and we saw the lockdowns coming and the global demand bottom somewhere three or four months down the line. Right, so that's no. that's where we're looking at these, yeah. So, so don't answer it yet, but but I do want to, mm. you know, at least people li- listening, you know, I want to come yeah. back to this because, of course, China's sure. imposing some lockdowns now. And so yes. as we get, you know, get through the conversation, yeah. kind of re- reframe things, yeah. I want to come back to this yeah. topic. Uh, but Definitely. go on, please. Yeah, indeed. So I think that's what we are tracking. We do that on a daily basis. The same thing which we are doing right now, right? Particularly mm-hmm. with what's happening with Russia, what's happening in the Black Sea, what's happening in the Baltic, what's happening in the Russian Far East, right? So we're able to segregate which parts of this, as an unfortunate as it is with the conflict, we are able to make a distinction is which parts are impacted or for that matter, where the flows are impacted from. Uh, whether it's Russia, Ukraine, and in, in this particular conflict, right? Whether it's uh, oil, whether it's crude oil flows, whether it's product flows, whether you're talking about the Russian coal, again a bigger commodities, and 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 specifically, I think another one which is not getting that much attention, but that's the uh, Russia and Ukraine agri commodities exports, right? Mm-hmm. So we are able to track all of that in a near real time basis, and that feeds into what's happening with the global pricing right across the commodity markets. These are all at record highs. So it's the disruptions which we are seeing right now is essentially what's driving it. And I wanted to make certainly a a point here, and that is uh, we've talked about the commodity super cycle. All of that Mm -hmm. has been in, in the play for the last 18 to 24 months. 
and having tracked this industry now for the 14, 15 years, we're not seeing that strong a demand at this point of time, right? I think what we are seeing is this is geopolitical. This is the supply side disruptions across, across the commodities, which we are seeing, right, which is driving this. And maybe we can go deeper into the commodities later. Yeah, so so all right, so we started to notice some, some changes in, in February of 20, March of 20, everything mm. starts to go haywire. I think it was April yeah. of 20 that uh, yeah. oil went negative. So so things went squirrely there, you know, the uh, supply chains got totally disrupted. Yeah. So, so can you talk a little bit more about that disruption from, say, sure. 20 through 21? What Were things yeah. going in different directions? Were things getting far? Exactly. So I think uh, how we started seeing a bit of, I would say this is a good leading indicator for what happens to the global, global economy, right? So we started seeing a, a pickup, a very strong pickup in container flows, right? So we're talking about container flows from Asia to the US, Asia to Europe, right? As the US stimulus, and I don't exactly remember mm-hmm. the date, but I think it was the summer of, I think summer of 2020 when it was announced, right? And the summer of 2020, and it starts feeding in over a period of time, but the US consumer demand was so strong that we could see that in the container flows, right? The container flows were booming. You could see more ships calling in, more ships which were idled or taken off the service started coming back, right? So that was a good indication of global economic recovery, and particularly the Western economic recovery, which started happening that time. Uh, Our ships data or the port call data started normalizing very, very fast. It was a dip, but it wasn't a dip which we saw like back in 2008 and 9. That was more protracted. This one actually had a V-shaped recovery, right, across okay. the shipping fleets, right? So that was a key distinction was it was a man-made lockdown in that sense or, or, or for uh, driven by man. It wasn't that bad a hit on the demand for a protracted basis. It was a three to six months hit on the demand, but we could see the ships uh, returning back. We could see the flows returning back and all of that accelerated in the late 2020 and flowed all the way to 2021. So every month we could see month on month sequential growth in flows, particularly for the containers. And as the Chinese export engine, and you would, uh, 2020, late 2020, when the Chinese export engine picked up in that sense, the exports picked up, 2021 was very strong. You could see the domestic demand side as well, right? So that also picked up. Again, the second thing which I'll, and then this is more on the oil markets, is when we saw the oil prices collapse, you could see the Chinese increase their buying a lot right so you were tracking those vessels we could actually see that the number of ships which are heading to china carrying carrying crude oil we could actually see those ships uh, coming up we also track floating storage right that essentially went through the roof we had a historically high floating storage and as we move through the year we could see that floating storage come off as well. So that again was an indication of what's happening on the demand side. So that was all of late 2020 and it continued all the way till 2021. It still has, I would say before this Russia-Ukraine conflict, we could see the global trade flows across commodities, across uh, finished goods being very, very strong. Okay, so things kind of re- returned to normal. And yes. Um, so, so this morning or, or yesterday, I think it was this morning, but, but Jamie Dimon released his annual mm. letter to, to shareholders. Yeah. And, I, and I, I haven't read it yet. So, mm. so, 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 so careful with what I yeah. repeat here. But, but I, yeah. as I understand it, it talks about a change to globalization. If not, I think there, there's other headlines around the end of globalization, which mm. is perhaps a bridge too far. But what are we now that the world has gone from what would have appeared to be a return to normalcy in 2021, early 2022, obviously yeah. the Ukraine and Russia conflict has changed that. Are we seeing this kind of breakdown in globalization um, sure. now? We're, we're yeah. talking on April 4, 2022. Yeah, I think it's 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 too early to say that, right? So I'll, I'll again take you back to Trump tariffs, right? 
I think mm-hmm. uh, this was back in 2016, 17. I think when that came in, right? So everybody expected that that will lead to near shoring. Uh, that will mm-hmm. lead to a lot of uh, production moving back to the US or let's say closer to the US. Uh, but the fact is, if you see the global, uh, like I said, Asian export powerhouse uh, in terms of uh, uh, the top nine of the ten uh, container shipping ports are in in China. Right. Okay. And you have, and I'm counting Hong Kong there, but I think Hong Kong and China. Then you have Korea, Japan, and then you have Singapore. Right. So in terms of the, and then you've seen over the recent few years a big pickup in, in in Vietnam. Right. So the expectation was, uh, as these Trump tariffs came, there would be a mass movement. Right. But like I said, I've been tracking this for the last 15 years. I haven't seen that actually play on the ground. It's at the margin. I think so. In a sense, globalization is still very, very alive. If you look at the numbers from 2021, if you look at the recent numbers, which are let's say coming out of India in terms of export numbers, I think those numbers were 400 billion dollars, 30% year-on-year increase. Chinese exports were very strong in 2021. U.S. imports have been very, very strong, right? But mm-hmm. I'll just add add something there, and this is this is a key here, right? So if you again, I keep on going back to global financial crisis because the fact is when this COVID struck, people were expecting a repeat of global financial crisis in terms of the recession. in terms of the trade flows and so on but the key difference here was the us consumer spend right as in uh, you you based there hell you you know more than me but uh, in terms of the stimulus which came in in the hands of consumers we're talking about the monetary stimulus we're talking about the child care benefits the student loan moratoriums rent moratoriums all of that what it created was a unprecedented demand when i say that the us uh, spend on consumer durables or the durable goods spending after the global financial crisis took almost around 8 10 years uh, to reach to the level uh, where we were before pre covid but the same as it grew 50% since then right since 2008 uh, 9 10 to 2019 or 20 somewhere on that time but this time all of that grew in and, and i'm talking about uh, uh, after the covid struck in just in just 18 months so that was a huge huge uh, uh, disruption to the global supply chains because they're not meant to cater to that kind of a demand so we saw a demand explosion and right. that's why you keep on hearing about inflation you take and, uh, and like i said you in the us you keep on hearing about the us sports uh, lock jam right you're talking about jammed us sports whether it's on the east coast uh, los angeles long beach mm-hmm. complex uh, talking about even the ports on the eastern side of the us west coast is is the gateway of the us so that's around 50% of imports but they all jammed because of this right so what we started seeing some of that is started rolling over we started seeing some of that congestion uh, decrease but coming back to your point of globalization i think it's still well in alive it's 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 certainly inflationary what is happening because of this right i think that's something which we are seeing but uh, for sure as of now i think globalization uh, as in the data points to it right the export numbers which we are seeing as well as the us uh, and european imports still alive it will probably take a long long time for any of these exports to move back compared to let's say where they were uh, before 2006 7 right so we are and- not looking at that yeah Sure, and the and the big challenge, if I recall, after '08, what was there? There was overbuild within tanker trade. That that was the big challenge to the system. Is, yeah. is that we, we were at a high utilization rate, and, and these yes. tanker companies yeah. weren't making any money because they had make exactly. up numbers four boats and they yeah. needed two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are we today? Are, are we at? We're high still of we're still there. So three three different businesses, right? So container shipping, blockbuster numbers. Uh, to tell you, uh, as in just to give a number, these guys are making two hundred billion dollars in operating profit. And we had like last ten years, there were multiple bankruptcies. Uh, they made 
uh, whatever they lost in the last 10 10 12 years they made it back in one year again that wow. represented one on the container shipping side right drive bulk is primarily a china story because china being the biggest buyer right that industry is doing well because the supply side has come off tanker market or for that matter the, the oil tanker market is still pretty much well supply uh, uh, well oversupplied because the fact is uh, and, and i'll just take you back again to COVID 2020 when this all went negative and we had this whole floating storage pickup the rates went up to two hundred thousand dollars a day for the big vlccs they backed down to fifteen twenty thousand dollars right i think the fact is that industry is still oversupplied and it relies on opec increasing or opec plus or opec Mm-hmm. increasing production right shipping is all about volume it's, it's it's certainly the distance right but it's also a volume game in that sense so industry still is oversupplied it started coming off uh, or rather it started recovering late 2021 as more opec started pumping in more oil but the fact is it's, it's still in doldrums i would say compared to the other shipping segments so there is tanker availability and it's not a freight is not a big problem for oil markets at this point of time for the liquid yes for the liquid yeah for, for liquids only and the, and the other two yeah. dry bulk and container are yeah, high capacity well. and making yeah. they, they, there's no capacity on the container side we've seen even the dry bulk ships convert to containers or carry containers because those rates have just gone through the roof they are historical high rates so just to give you an example uh to send a box from asia a container box from asia to us used to cost around two thousand dollars per mm-hmm. container those rates went up to twenty thousand dollars per container right Wow. So unbelievable, unprecedented, and that's something which is flowing into when we talk about the inflationary side of it. The freight inflation is coming from that side. So what we we talked about the end of globalization, perhaps mm-hmm. is is an exaggerated term uh, yeah. t- t- today. Are, are we seeing a, a redirection of globalization? Yeah, we've seen that. Yeah. So I think what has happened is uh, uh, Vietnam has picked up very well. I think we've mm-hmm. seen. So it's still centered around Asia. I think there was just a story which I was reading today about Mexico. I think some of that has happened. We were earlier expecting a bit on the Eastern Bloc or Eastern Europe. Some of that has happened, but it has happened at the margin. Whatever has moved from China and China is moving up the value chain, right? So mm-hmm. some of that, which is low cost production, which has moved away, has moved to, let's say, Vietnam. Vietnam is also moving up the value chain than other ASEAN countries, right? But still, the flows, global trade flows are still centered from Asia to Europe or Asia to US, the Western economies, yeah. And it's the West that's driving the demand as yes, Asia and is. Latin America yeah. is driving yeah. the supply. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, so so what are what are some of the challenges within, if particularly within the tanker market, if there's oversupply there, that there's a lack of capacity within the other markets? So is uh, labor like tanker still market a challenge? Is, no, not so much. I think the tanker market, what it needs to recover is uh, higher OPEC exports. I think higher OPEC exports, the U.S. exports, right? I think that's also again the U.S. Uh, exports also started uh, uh, coming down over the last few years. It was doing very well. But the fact is it didn't keep up uh, the pace of growth uh, compared to what it was doing a few years back, right? So you need longer ton miles, so longer distances mm-hmm. traveled, right? So you need more crude coming from uh, from US to Asia, more of, uh, because in the end, if it's, uh, let's say, if it's Saudi uh, going into India, or if it's, uh, if it's a US tanker or US crude going into India, that's three times the distance, right? So you'll need more capacity. So that hasn't happened. The OPEC has increased, but still, it's not it's not that much that will it will drive tanker demand at this point of time. So demand is pretty soft. We mm-hmm. haven't seen much trapping. People have been waiting for demand to pick up. The expectation that okay, every OPEC 
meeting we will see more increase but the fact is uh, that has disappointed so that come off it remains here yeah, in doldrums here yeah. i think what uh, there was another expectation right so whenever there is a crisis and maybe it's a good segue into russia ukraine for that matter mm. but again uh, and then the iranian volume so we can talk a bit about that as well but russia ukraine is something which should have helped right but the fact is uh, it's 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 a crisis situation where a lot of ships which are probably being tied on that flows can't do business there so they also come back into the market right uh different on the product side but we can go deeper into that as well yeah so so let's go there what's so mm-hmm. U- ukraine russia is the other big event yeah. over the past uh couple couple of years and that's to 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 yeah. downplay the significance of it uh, but you know that there's you mentioned india which has that's been in the news as continuing to accept oil deliveries from from russia are, are there so, so so i'll say that's a continuation mm-hmm. of normal yeah. Um, though at a, at a discounted price for for the buyer, where yeah. are some Russia Ukraine events on the shipping side that would be a, a lack of normal? What what are what are yeah. we seeing here? So I think just to put it in context, right? I think Russia is a commodity super powerhouse. Whether it's on the oil markets, whether it's on the coal, whether it's on the agri commodities, right? Like I said, I think what we've started seeing is uh, there is a reshuffling of global energy flows because of this conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, early signs is what I would call it. I think the data is volatile. You have to understand that, and it's getting sketchier day by day. We're trying our best to working with our third-party partners, working with our AI sources, and so on to get a handle of what this evolving situation is. But the data is volatile on a daily basis, right? But even when, uh, as we smoothen it, we can see that there are early signs of a hit to Russian oil loadings. The flows have started changing. Right. Uh, earlier, Russia being the second biggest exporter, it was primarily to China and Europe being the key destination. What we've started witnessing is uh, the Russian supply, and I'm talking crude here, is being diverted to Asia from Europe. Right. The thing is, while US, UK, and Canada and some of uh, these major countries have banned imports of Russian oil, and many countries and as well as companies are self-sanctioning. I think uh, we are seeing some of these outlets, right? So we want to call it whether it's India and India or China as natural outlets for these these uh, cargo flows. And just looking at the data, right? So I think uh, we talked about commodities at sea. We're using that to track daily loadings. Uh, so the ra- daily loadings through let's say March to date show only a slight decline when we are comparing to monthly averages, right? So it hasn't been impacted that much. I think the key here is April loadings. I think that will be mm-hmm. the key to watch. And it's still early. Days, but that will start establishing a trend in how much Russian oil flows, crude oil flows, have been impacted. Uh, when you look at the numbers, I think uh, as per CAS data, we're only down around 300,000 barrels per day from Feb levels, and we're on par with January's 4.5 million barrels per day in terms of uh, crude exports, right? Seaborne exports in that sense. Uh, on daily loadings from Russia. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I'll talk about the crew or the products as well. But I think just on focusing on the crude, right? I think what we are seeing, and this is the most interesting part of this, is the indicated destinations, right? So our algorithms plus, like uh, like I said, the third-party sources, which we confirmed with, the indicated destinations have gone up very, very significantly for what we call destination unknown, right? That's one. Really? And also India in recent weeks, right? So if you just look at the destination unknown, we're talking about pre-invasion to now where we are. We are up around 25% in that sense. So destination unknowns of, uh, and this is uh, uh, the tankers which are in the Mediterranean Sea, which are in, in, in which are in northwestern Europe. They have loaded cargo, 
but the destination is unknown. Earlier it used to be Europe, right? So those uh, have gone up and, we, and that's a big number, 25, 30% increase in destination unknown. India, very small buyer, but there also we've seen a, a increase in terms of India as a destination. Uh, just one or two more points on the crude side. So again, uh, very interesting. I think what we are seeing is uh, what we track is the Russian crude oil on water, right? I think uh, if you look at, uh, uh, and this is, this is a challenge is finding buyers it is right. it's fluctuating, right? I think the crude on the water, that's Russian crude on water is close to 62 million barrels and we are tracking CPC blend Ural, so call everything combined, right? So I think we are talking about 62 million barrels and that used to be below 40, 44, 44 million barrels earlier, right? So that's a significant increase of crude oil on, on, on water as well. Uh, this is on the crude side. And mm -hmm. like I said, I think China and India are natural outlets for these barrels. Uh, with especially with rushing crude at a deep discount, right? But still, the challenge would be uh, for the buyers being financing insurance concerns, right? So I think it it will have to be on a delivered basis where the supplier will have to take care of all of these things, right? And what mm. so so on the destination unknown? So mm. so, so the, is that an indication that the tankers themselves don't have a destination, or, or an indication that they were not able to identify the destination? And no, so it's going when we to, say destination, yeah, destination unknown is it's essentially what happens is every vessel has what we call the AIS, right, automatic identification system. So wherever they're going, and that's a regulatory requirement uh, for safety. You mm -hmm. need to define where it's going, right? When we say destination unknown is right now, they might be just be putting a, a bunkering port, right? They're not putting, okay, I'm going to discharge in India at, at Jamnagar or I'm going to discharge in, in, in Taiwan at Kaohsiung or for that matter in China, right? Or maybe uh, yeah, in Rotterdam in Netherlands and so on, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that becomes destination unknown because they're still finding buyers. As they move or if they're able to sell that cargo, then they update that, right? So that's one. So algorithms are dis are able to find that thing. Which so is, is it effectively floating storage? Oil is that a exactly. way that we can look at it? Exactly. I think the general term for industry floating storage is anything which is not moving for seven days and then you have 40 day, 14 days, 30 days, right? So these are still vessels which are moving, right? But they're not able to find buyers. So they're looking for, and, and like I said, most of this is still in Europe. So if the fact is, Europe is still buying some of that Russian oil, right? It's self-sanctioning. It's much lower compared to where mm -hmm. it was. But if the cargo is not being able to discharge, and we've seen many countries, UK, I think the port of Gibraltar, somewhere, some uh, other countries in, in that particular part of the world have said no to these Russian cargoes, right? So effectively when, and understand that some of these cargo was sold even in Feb, December, uh, sorry, all the way Jan, Feb and earlier, right? Before the sanctions came in place. Right. But uh, even then, some of that has not been delivered. So that becomes a oil and water. Because right. the buyer is not taking delivery due to the self-sanction. Exactly. Yes, How about exactly. uh, other co commodities or, or um, within the dry bulk or con container side of yeah. things? Is Russia, coal? Container, yeah, so not a big market. I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a market, certainly. But I think container shipping is not impacted that much. What happens is there are certainly some machinery items which goes because all these supply chains are heavily interlinked, right? So there would be some of these impacts, but for a global scheme of things, it's much smaller for containers. I think it's it's much bigger as what we call, particularly on the crude oil, natural sources, petroleum products. And I think this may be a point on, on product side of this, right? So I think that's uh, something which we are tracking as well on the Russian products, right? I think as you would show, and this is probably is showing more 
tightness in the market, the product, uh, product market or the refined product market. I think what we've seen there is the daily product on the water, right? Uh, that has fallen around 16 million barrels. And if you go back earlier, that was around 22 million barrels. So we are seeing reduced refinery rates, particularly in Russia, right? I think mm-hmm. that will further for gasoline, naphtha, again, destination unknown is increasing for that as well. But that's creating a tightness in the in the in the product market right uh and that will be a challenge i think the key here is and and what we are looking at is and this is a not a normal trade you don't see much of this petroleum products go from us to europe right we starting that happens once in a while those ops open up and you will see once in a while that some of this uh, gasoline as well as other products go from us to europe it's essentially the other way around Right. Okay. But what we are seeing now is more of U.S. product, uh, petroleum products is going into Europe now. So that's very interesting to see as well. And is there exacerbated tightness within one or more products that, that we're noticing? Yeah. Gasoline. Exactly. Gasoline, diesel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's a market which is which I would say is most tight at this point of time. So you would start seeing and these trades have been talked about for long and they do happen is a lot of Asian products right, coming from whether it's from India, Korea, even from China for that matter. Uh, finding their way into European markets and the Russian cargoes probably if they can't discharge in in in, in, in Europe uh, probably finding their way into LATAM right so those will okay. be the trade flows which will change on, on a much bigger scale right and that's probably good for the product tanker market because you're talking about lots of these cargoes going from Asia to US, uh, Asia to Europe to fill that Russian product gap the Russian cargoes moving from Europe to LATAM so that is good for the product tanker market not so much for the crude tanker. I think that's uh, that's uh, not that uh, exciting at this point of time. Yeah. Okay. So 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 looking ahead, it's now the, the beginning of April. Um, we, the, I guess a couple things you know c- come to mind for me. One, we are uh, at least in the U.S. We're, we're entering the summer driving season, yeah. or, or not too far from the summer driving season, mm-hmm. which is going to have an influence on demand. Um, yeah. uh, you, you, you've mentioned inflation, which is perhaps changing people's, uh, certainly changing yeah. my feelings around how far I want to yeah. drive this summer. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, the China lockdowns that, that I, I think yeah. Shanghai went, went on lockdown last week or the week before. That's that's good good for the market, I would say, because had whatever weakness that you've seen recently, right? It's mainly because of the demand expectation or some of that demand going down in China. But imagine if there was no Chinese mm-hmm. lockdown COVID. I think the it's very difficult to place those Russian barrels across products or crude, right? So the market would have been extremely tight both for crude and product. Yeah. And have yeah, you right. noticed? So, so you mentioned in 2020, the uh, at the beginning of our call today, um, the leading indicator of mm-hmm. the, the the Chinese lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you noticing a similar that's leading a indicator now? Good, uh, that's a very good question, and that's what I've been telling some of our clients as well as our internal people. I think the same news is never a news, right? What I mean mm-hmm. is, I think. People have learned, so I think the ports are operating. Maybe even if there's some bit of a disruption, right? It's not the same repeat of what we saw back then, right? So they've, they, as in, if, I'm not sure if you're reading it, but I think uh, if you've read it, but uh, the Chinese factories are operating in a bubble mode now, right? So okay. uh, the factories are still operating, the ports are still operating, they're doing testing and all of that. So there are disruptions, but not to the tune of what we saw earlier, right? So I think everybody's learned to live with that. It's not the same as in, in China. I think, but even the Chinese or ports, Chinese operations are relatively working well compared to what we saw in the first wave or back in early 2020. I think that's a key distinction now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's, I suppose, a, a positive from, from economic standpoints, at least relative to, to yeah. China specifically, think, and positive for countries. So there's, 
yeah but there are two parts to it right that's the industrial side of the economy i think the impact is on the consumer side right? because i think that's where the lockdown is uh, shanghai particularly okay. with they've locked down so uh, there's you won't see many cars on the road you won't see that driving people going about their normal activities that's the key distinction but on the industrial side of it because uh, trucking availability ports operating operations loading cargo all of that is still going on so key distinction to make yeah so some of the other headlines, uh, I'm sure you were reading the, the, the same papers as I was this weekend, yeah. but um, every other economist is predicting a recession. Um, the, the, the yield curve yeah. has inverted recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that there's uh, the, the classic line that, that if you predict a recession for long enough, you're going to be right. Um, yeah. If we're looking at shipping today, do, do we see um, indicators of global economic health or, or global economic uh, weakness? I think as of now, it's pretty healthy. I would I, I wouldn't lie. I think we've started seeing some of the free trade solo on the container side, uh, but the flows have still been very very strong. So the U.S. consumer is in a pink of health still, right? We mm-hmm. still see very strong imports from the U.S. I think the challenge is where we started is probably Europe. I think that started rolling over, and uh, again, uh, container shipping. That's why is a macro trade because it shows you the consumer spend. If consumer is spending more on his energy bills, more on his power, more on his his his, his wallet share has been taken away by daily needs then the discretionary spend as well as durable spend, all of that goes down. So I think that is something which you're tracking. It's starting rolling over. It started to roll over, but that would be one which I would certainly look for on a a very regular basis to give us an indication. Yeah, US is still strong, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that I think that inverted yield curve is probably telling us uh, 12 to 18 months down the line. (laughs) Yeah. So so what are we watching? I think think one thing which we... Yeah, I think one thing which I was, I think probably want to touch, uh, talk a bit about is what's happening with coal markets, right? Yeah. I think again with uh, with the linkages to gas and power, I think LNG, particularly in Europe, I think that's a very very interesting market at this point of time or other. I think you have to understand that again, uh, like we said, Russia is top exporter of these crude and products and other stuff. But it's also a top exporter of bulk commodities, right? We're talking about coal, grain, steel, fertilizers. Mm-hmm. I think last year, Russia, as per our data from commodities, it's exported around 170 million tons of coal, right? And other commodities were around 70, 80 million tons. So those are big numbers. Uh, again, Russian coal as of now is not sanctioned, but the fact is, again, self-sanctioning happening, some of the utilities in Germany, right? So they rely on it. Russia, Europe is Russia's top buyer of thermal coal, and that's used in power stations, and we're talking about largely central and eastern europe right uh, around 20 percent of the russian coal is exported to europe by railway 70 to 80 percent by sea right and this route is self-sanctioning again right so we've started seeing some of that coal shipments to europe having remained so, strong but but the gap interesting is where would you get the alternative sources right uh, us can't supply it colombia south africa they are struggling they don't have they have a limited supply this is one of the most interesting thing which we're seeing is uh, Europe is forced to source away from far away Australia, right? Imagine, so we talk about energy transition and the carbon intensity, but imagine you carrying coal all the way from Australia to Europe, right? That has huge carbon footprint. You're getting it from right. Indonesia. These trades are not done on a normal basis, but the fact is we are being, as in Europe is being forced. Otherwise, I think the gas prices and where the coal prices, that's something which we are watching right now. We are seeing ships going from Australia. To so Europe. it's Australia and Indonesia that are the, the, the yeah. I guess, the beneficiary exporter as the, the, the Russian exactly. coal gets yeah. pushed yeah. off market. But Russian coal is very short, right? As in what I mean is it's a short haul trade. It comes from Baltic right. Russian side of the sea and that's it to Europe, right? You're talking about three, five times the distance from 
from and uh, ships carrying coal from this part of the world to Europe. Yeah, and and that's hitting the consumer three to um, three to five times the cost. Oh, this will be freight expensive. The coal right. is anyways. The coal prices have shot up. They've come off a bit, but uh, it certainly is is very very expensive compared to where the coal let's say where coal was just a year and a half back. Yeah. Sure. Well, so you know, maybe as a way to wrap up here, what what are yeah. the if if we're going to be paying attention to the to the shipping as I know you are, what are the things that you're most curious about? If you had to name two or three things, you know, as we go into yeah. the summer that are yeah. going to be a leading indicator of one direction or another. Sure. I think one thing which, and again, starting with, I think the U.S. consumer rolling over, I think that would be something on the container side. If we start seeing the freight rates come off on the spot freight rates come off, I think that will start giving us indication of the economic slowdown if it's it's if it's uh, happening or if it's deepening in the U.S. as well as European consumer markets, right? Because these are consumer driven economies. I think the second would be, like I said, the Russian oil at sea. Plus the discharging, we know as in everybody's talking about India buying Russian cargoes, but that's still a very small percentage, right? So where would mm-hmm. that cargo go if we see oil sanctioning, which hasn't happened, but officially sanctioning of Russian oil in European markets, where does Europe get oil from, right? Where they see more of US oil, whether you see more of that Russian oil being diverted to Asia, India, China, Korea, whichever countries can take that, right? I think that would be very interesting. Uh, I think the last one would be the bulk commodities, both coal as well as uh, agri commodities, right? So, like I said, Russia being a big exporter in Russia and Ukraine com- combine around, I think, 18 to 20 percent of global wheat market, corn market, right? So, as those taken away, it's not Russia is still exporting, right? But from the Black Sea and others, it's it's Ukraine is not exporting and unlikely to export anything this year. The season is already over, but even next year because there's not much likely to be planting, right? So, the agri inflation as well. Right. So mm-hmm. all these are inflationary, right? All this conflict is highly inflationary in that sense. But again, as in inflation kills demand, right? So right. that could be a reverse loop, which we are probably tracking. And that's why probably I think the yield curve is signaling that to us. Yeah. But it'll be interesting event uh, in the next six months compared to what we've had good event, good, good last 12, 18 months in the markets. Yeah. All right. Well, well plenty, plenty to pay attention to. Um, and, and I hope yep. we can uh, pick this conversation up here maybe in a few months and, and revisit yep. it to, to, to see um, yep. you know, what, where some of those big indicators have uh, given us flags to um, definitely to, to see what's going on economically. Yep. Rahul, th- thank, you, uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, El. It was a pleasure and uh, thank you so much for having me. All right. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.